Hi everyone, I'm here with Nikki Satira, who is a nature connection educator at the Pine Project in Toronto, Canada, where she teaches urban people about their place in nature and helps weave a culture of nature connection. And the Pine Project's mission is to foster confidence, competence, resilience, and connection to nature through transformative outdoor experiences. And I really like their mantra, be more, need less. So Nikki, how do you get into this nature connection work? <laughs> uh, that is a very long story, but I'll try to make it short. Um, just like the kids I work with and kind of the, the way that we operate too, is that all of my inspiration for nature came from when I was a child and being outside of nature. Uh, my mom used to take me and my sister to this beach uh, every summer and let us pr play freely and go catch frogs and go frolic through the woods and be barefoot and just have fun and get into dangerous but not too dangerous things. And um, yeah, I just always had a calling in my life from that point on to just um, be an advocate for nature. And so I decided to follow my passions into university where I studied environmental education with a specialization in culture and education. And right out of that um, graduation, I started working for the Pine Project. So it's been six years since then. <laughs> well, that's great that you, you were able to get into something you're really passionate about. Yeah. When you were a kid and then right out of school, get into such a, an interesting organization that's doing amazing work. Yeah, I feel very, very lucky for that. It was almost serendipitous. Yeah, you're very fortunate because I meet a lot of people on our retreats around, uh, they've been, been educated in biology and environment and uh, ecology even, and they say that their work is looking at spreadsheets all day. In the yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they're not very happy about it because they, mm -hmm. they got into it because they love nature and being in nature and, and then being in an office is like the opposite of that in a way. Right, yeah, totally. <laughs> you actually teach in these beautiful places, in these river valleys around Toronto and the forests. So what's mm -hmm. it like being uh, on the edge of the city in these beautiful forests? Well, people I don't think would be able to imagine it really because it's like you step into these parks in Toronto and you're in a different world. And it's almost like, I mean, without, like minus the sight of, of you know, forest and bridges and stuff like that, it's pretty pristine and it tricks the kids into thinking they're in pristine wilderness. And um, I don't know, it's just a, it's a really beautiful way to connect with the natural landscape. And I remember uh, watching this documentary about Toronto and it was from like the 1920s or something. And it said the city living in a giant forest because as it stands right now, there's three trees for every human that lives in Toronto. So as much as I think it's a concrete jungle and other people think it's a concrete jungle, it's actually pretty um, wild. If you look from above, whether you're in a plane or you're up in the CN Tower, they're really, like the trees do outnumber the people and do outnumber the buildings even. Well, that is yeah. a remarkable thing about Canada, how it's a, such a wild country and, and the landscape and the geography is often so rugged that it's not so easy for humans just to take it all over and grow food on it and build towers on it. It's, totally. Mm -hmm. In Toronto with the lake and the islands and the river valleys, um, that, that, you know, uh, such an urban culture still has, you know, or has had the foresight in the past to, to, to save all these wilderness corridors, or at least many of them, mm -hmm. valleys. Um, so it is quite nice that you, you go in the Don Valley and around High Park and the Humber River and 
uh, all these different places in, the, in Toronto, the city that are still quite wild. And then you see the CN Tower poking up above the trees, right? Yeah, totally. And people don't even realize, some people don't even realize that we have coyotes and deer in the city. They're pretty much shocked when I tell them. Like, yeah, there's lots actually. Yeah, I see a lot of foxes in Toronto when I've been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing cool. you can thrive even with the concrete and all the people, uh, nocturnal animals especially. Mm -hmm. The animals come out and, uh, and they can kind of scavenge in the city on, on half in, in maybe the wilderness, half in the city or, or entirely in the city. Um, it's interesting, the parks in Toronto are very beautiful and uh, it's good that you're getting young children out you know, that grow out, grow up in these very urban neighborhoods and often mm -hmm. poverty in cities and kids don't get that exposure to wilderness immersion. So you teach at the Pine Project, you know, on site in Toronto, um, but you also do some stuff where you take kids for the weekend and for longer times out into the, the more, uh, you know, fascinating forests of the north. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we run all different sorts of programs. On Thursdays, we take a school bus from Toronto and go to uh, an area near Georgetown where it's um, a huge piece of property that we can do anything there really. Uh, so it's one of our options other than our city programs, which um, has a bit of restriction because it is in the city. And then we do overnight camps over the summer up in, um, right now it's like the Halliburton area. And we do sometimes like longer weekends in different areas. So yeah, we do get out of the city occasionally. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool you have a, a center where kids can be dropped off and come for the day and mm -hmm. families can get their kids involved and, and they're getting their feet and their hands in the dirt. Um, yeah. So, you know, wild plants and mushrooms and trees. Mm -hmm. um, you talk a lot about plants in, in, in your work. <laughs> um, what draws you to like herbalism and plants? Well, um, I think the, initially for me, it was the fascination with the idea that there were things out there that looked like just a wall of green that you could use as medicine and eat. And now it's become more of a conversation within myself about how plants are living things and they can't run away <laughs> when we take them or when we use them. So just like I am coming from an understanding where it's that it takes life to sustain life and when something can feed me or something can nourish me or something can uh, give me medicine it's like almost like this reciprocal gratitude that i'm building a relationship with these beings that are you know very different from me and don't have eyes <laughs> like me <laughs> well it's interesting now like uh how the, a lot of this knowledge around plants and herbal mm -hmm. very uh, important again as people realize industrial agriculture is not giving them the minerals and vitamins they need and and also even the scientific community now uh, in the last few years has been a massive developments in plant neurology and uh, oh yeah <laughs> I love that plants and how they have perception and mm -hmm. they have many of the characteristics we we give to intelligent life totally uh, which is fascinating and we're just kind of the tip of the iceberg of learning about that um, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts with connecting kids with plants? Like, how does that change them when they when they start learning about this, um, in, 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 you know, in, in, in nature? Mm. Well, I think one of the best things that I uh, started to realize with kids and connecting them to plants is that I had no idea when I was their age that there were plants 
that I could eat or that I could use as medicine. So that piece is just like totally inspiring. Imagine being a kid and some older, like cooler person is like, hey, these plants are edible and you can chew this leaf up and put it on a bug bite and it'll make it feel better. So I think that's like the first step, the inspiration piece that kind of draws them in. But as they, I mean, I can only speak for the kids I've worked with and the relationships I've built with those kids, but um, as they grow older and start to use plants more and more, um, I think that there's a, a sense where they start to realize how interconnected plants are with every single thing that we do. Yes. Knowing the right types of trees for to make fire, how to make um, cordage or rope from certain plants, what plants are edible, what plants are medicinal. Um, and basically our lives just come down to plants like at the most basic level plants are super super important um so I, I think that's a huge part of it yeah it is interesting you mentioned that because of what the clothes we wear are grown with plants mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of pharmaceuticals we take from pills and stuff are oh totally <laughs> uh, most of it actually is from trees or plants yep um and it's like they give us life and uh they're a huge part of our diet and uh uh, but as well, we are in this crisis today where, you know, we're destroying a lot of these plants and the biodiversity of plants mm -hmm. and very important plants are starting to disappear. And, uh, you know, trees are being affected by, you know, different mm -hmm. viruses and stuff. Um, you know, how do you feel like people can be kind of woken up to mm. this crisis? Because I think it's interesting, like scientists have, have kind of beat people over the head for 20 years with all this stats and data and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm but it hasn't really moved people's hearts to action, right? And I guess mm -hmm. a flaw in the science or academic establishment that they don't really speak in this storytelling way that connects with people often, except for right. groups of people. Um, how do you feel like you can reconnect people to, with nature today and, and kind of wake them up to want to do something about these problems we have? Mm -hmm. I think the first step is connection, to be honest. Um, I would never have been where I am without those um, adult free frolics in the forest. And I think that um, a lot of nature education is very didactic, it's very prescribed. And the first step isn't ever inspire first, you know, and I think that's where I'm coming from. It's like, if you get kids and you get people to fall in love with nature, if you get them to just fall in love with nature, then everything else comes after. Everything else comes naturally. It's what happened to me. If I look at my journey from when I was a kid, I fell in love with it first, and that made me grow into a human who wanted to do the types of things that would protect it. So I don't think that people necessarily have to make grand gestures to you know, save the planet, whatever that means today. I don't know. Save ourselves, <laughs> but, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think just like creating a, an awareness, like the birds have language and they can tell us things and the plants have medicines and stories to tell. And, you know, building a fire by rubbing sticks together can teach you about yourself and your ancestors and how hard it was for them to survive for you to be here today. There's so many lessons in nature connection. And I think um, if you go from a place that is coming from a connection to nature and a love for nature, that everything just follows suit. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah, mm -hmm. if you love something, you want to protect it. You yeah, know, you exactly. It. You want your kids to enjoy it. You don't want other people right. to enjoy it. 
I mean, it's, it's for me, uh, I think an important part of it is relationship building. And we just met, I know your name, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know anything about you. And so I, so I think the problem that comes from like learning institutions and the didactic approach to nature is that we learn the names of things, but we don't know their stories. So the more I ask you questions, the more you ask me questions, the more we get to know each other. And maybe one day we'll become best friends in like two years. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's the same with plants. Nature the same with nature. I think a different form of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the didactic, the school system is like if someone's speaking at you, they're, they're yeah. you on something and it's very passive and it's very structured and it's very safe. Whereas in nature, there's riskier, it's an adventure, mm -hmm. and you're forced to pay more attention. You have to totally. solve problems as they present themselves that aren't imaginary, like in school. Mm -hmm. and, and also in school, you're being watched. In nature, you're kind of like, you got to figure it out for yourself. There's yeah. no, <laughs> not always someone to ask. You got to kind of get creative with groups mm -hmm. in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So the thing I've also seen with, with people that teach in nature is, they develop very good problem solving skills and, and what they teach is very good for that. And I find, you know, in this technological age we're in, you know, creative problem solving is the most important skills. I don't think it's taught very well in school, mm -hmm. but the problem solving you learn naturally in nature is very effective for leadership and for, <laughs> and for getting people to come to consensus. Yeah. Nature gives instant feedback. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and it has natural consequences everywhere. So it's kind of one of the best teachers. And especially I find when you really spend a few days away from civilization, you realize the kind of gift of civilization, you know, what it, how it makes our lives so comfortable and, and uh, privileged and convenient. Um, but then you take it for granted if you don't get away from it. And it can kind of like lead to people be self-destructive because their lives are so disconnected from nature. And, and I find there's so much anxiety in the world today, but when you really immerse yourself in nature for a while, you might encounter a bear, you know, and have a, uh oh, I'm not talking <laughs> or like experience. I could get eaten, you know, and have to respond to these situations where you mm -hmm. experience fear, like, like the, you were saying, like immediate feedback in nature of like fear of like survival on your own or with other people and, and, and problem solving. And mm -hmm. then they come back from those experiences with a different perspective on your life. Yes. Um, what are some like stories of like kind of what you've seen in kids, like as like, that could kind of come in maybe to Pine Project, mm -hmm. uh, you know, stressed out, they're busy, stressful lives because of their parents. And then they kind of come into nature and then they, do you ever see shifts with kids? I, uh, over long periods of time, yeah, I do. I, I definitely have seen shifts in kids. Um, totally, and it, it, it's even shown in sometimes when I work like at private programs with schools who have never been to uh, an outdoor program before, and I end up going back to my my kids that I work with regularly and think, oh my gosh, these kids are so resilient. And it's not even this like one thing I can pinpoint where it's like, I know exactly how this kid is resilient or exactly why they're um, different, but it's just they're, they have grown in this culture of nature connection that has for their entire like childhood, given them instant feedback, given them lessons, made them do hard work, made them um, stay outside in all different types of inclement weather. 
So they're just kind of built to, um, they're just built a little bit more resilient and more competent, I've found, the ones that regularly go outside. Interesting, yeah. And the confidence they develop and that resiliency that flows from that is really important, I think, because we live in such a fast-changing world where no one can predict what five years from now is going to look like. Totally. Uh, so you have to navigate all this uncertainty. Um, and I think nature really trains that. Um, mm-hmm. forces us to to deal with our mortality and to, uh, um, you know, deal with unexpected, unpredictable situations constantly. Yeah. And it makes kids, it makes people, not just kids, um, creative because, you know, I take kids outside and then it starts pouring rain. It's freezing cold. It's the end of fall and they're wearing running shoes and wondering why they're cold. And that's like a great opportunity for them to come back the week after. And for me to ask them, look, what did you learn? And how are we going to move forward? And with, I think, the natural lesson from nature coupled with good mentors to ask really good questions is really important because anyone can get a lesson from nature. And if someone doesn't ask the right questions, they might live the rest of their lives, you know, thinking that, oh, this, I remember that was a horrible experience instead of, you know, that was a really great learning experience. <laughs> yeah, the mentorship, I think, is an important piece. Like having someone that really is is there with you to guide you. Um, mm-hmm. That's an important part of education that's, that's really lost today in our university system, especially. Mm-hmm. I think people really connected together, even one-to-one. Um, it really has this huge impact. Like the ancient way of apprenticeship and mentorship, I think, uh, it trains better leaders than, than this yeah. we call school, right? Mm-hmm. So it's great that, you know, kids can have experiences of, of this in the city. Um, for yourself, um, do you have any nature connection practices um, that really help you feel connected that you do on your own or with close friends and family? Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, regularly, regularly practice uh, bow drill um, and continually challenge myself. I remember actually a challenge I did with Chris where um, he challenged me to go make a bow drill kit from the land completely from scratch, which I'd never done before. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just using different materials and bringing them home from the field and trying them out. Um, I journal a lot. I have a really sweet nature journal where I'll draw parts of flowers or animals or tracks and like just do a bunch of research, write it all down, write some stories, uh, do sit spots regularly. So have a place where I go to where I just watch nature and watch the birds and watch the animals and plants that grow around. And even just that, the amount of awareness I've grown in the last six years just by doing that alone is phenomenal. Like from sit spots, I learned, you know, what robins sound like when um, they see a raccoon versus when they see a coyote. (laughs) You know, and there's just such a deeper level to just watching nature and not expecting anything from it. Yes. Yeah. Being present, you know, uh, I think nature is a great facilitator for that. Um, Mm -hmm. The sit spot you talked about, having a place to go and just sit and observe the sunsets and the sunrises and the different seasons and different moods as the weather changes. Mm -hmm. It really develops this felt connection that can't be taught in a book or learned in a book oh totally (laughs) because you learn something in a book and then you go outside and you're like oh that was wrong (laughs) or it's not always like that (laughs) exactly and it's interesting Mm -hmm. like 
I always like to joke around about, you know, nature is like learning from the book of nature when you're out in the yeah. forest. And, you know, books are written on like dead trees in a sense, right? And mm -hmm. it's kind of got more caught up in abstraction of words these days and languages. But when you're really present in nature, there's a language or languages all around you that are speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, you just got to kind of tune in and tune out of what you think it should be or yeah. <laughs> thought process that kind of is so dominant these days, right? Totally. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting what you do because a lot of ecology is so much about analysis and categorization and labeling things in nature. But you really try it with the work you do at the Pine Project, like kind of weave this, 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 this net or nature connection culture together. Like how do you mm -hmm. build a culture uh, with what you do and that, <laughs> in that community? So by culture, you know, it's a, it's a really hard word to break apart, but by a culture of nature education or nature connection, it's, I think, first of all, it means like extending out beyond the child and mentor. It's like into the families, which is why we have like family programs where we teach them how we teach kids about nature so that they can pass that along to their kids. Um, and we sing songs every day. We practice gratitude. We uh, use a lot of questioning. So um, inquiry-based learning a lot instead of, I mean, it goes back to that conversation about res or resilience that we were having and um, relationship where, you know, instead of telling a kid what type of flower it is because they're curious, it's just to meet them at their curiosity and be like, oh, cool, let's look in a field guide and get to know more about it. How many petals is there? What color is it? What does it smell like? And just like getting to know the plants or whatever you're asking them questions about in a different way. So that I think builds a culture of nature connection as well. And, it, and it's just like making it a part of your everyday life. So it's not like it's a separate thing. You don't go out into the woods and all of a sudden you're in nature. You're living it all the time. It's a part of your everyday life. It's a part of who you are part of what you do and how you um interact with the world and act within it yeah it's great like I'm, I'm a big believer in like kind of giving back as much as you're taking and mm -hmm. it's part of the modern culture to live in a way where you're really not taking so much more than you're giving back mm -hmm. and in mm -hmm. nature at least at the local ecosystem level you kind of have to have this reciprocity of give and take to have things balance yeah so it's important in the city, even like the way we live, that we, you know, if we're foraging for some plants, we can put some back. And if we're mm -hmm. taking, you know, how can we maybe grow some pollinator plants or trees right. in our area to, you know, give back to all these birds and bees mm -hmm. and all these creatures that are so important for us, um, you know, in their own right as well. But uh, we have this huge role, you know, in a sense of being stewards of the land, at least in cities that we've developed, like, uh, we have to like manage it better in a way and be mm -hmm. conscious of our interconnections with it. Um, Cause it, you see more and more in cities, you get these uh, biodiversity deserts, right? Where yeah. uh, there's a lot of grass, but not much else. <laughs> and, Kentucky uh, bluegrass. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's, it's, it's good to be kind of aware of like what wilderness or nature looks like to kind of bring that in more into the city. Cause 
I'm a big believer we need to rewild our cities and our landscapes because mm -hmm. your landscape has so much influence on your mental health and your physical health. Yeah. Um, especially in Toronto, like you mentioned, like uh, it was called the city in the garden. And uh, I like that. Like <laughs> The city in the forest or in a thousand trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's what happens. And it's amazing today how people are collecting in cities. And so many of us, you know, will leave maybe ancestral where we, we grew up. Most people today are leaving those areas and going into the cities. And, and, and in many ways, living together in the city is more efficient. Right. Um, but often we lose touch to the land we uh, grew up with or grew up on. And, uh, and we can become disconnected from nature in the city. So it's good that uh, Pine Project is so involved in connecting people. So how did Pine Project get started? <laughs> well, I'll retell the story as best as I know it, because it wasn't me who started Pine, but um, I, Andrew McMartin, the executive director, I think he was on like a canoe trip in his early 20s, and he met this guy who rubbed some sticks together in front of him and made a fire, and he was instantly inspired and read a book called Tom Brown's Field Guide to Wild, Edible, and Medicinal Plants. Okay. And of course, in this field guide, Tom Brown, the uh, person writing the story, tells a story about um, plants. But I mean, he writes a book about plants and he starts the story with how he hunted a deer. <laughs> so it's a really profound story. Read it if you ever get a chance. Uh, but that book changed his life and he got really inspired into the nature connection culture and the, the people within it. and got really invested and then just was like you know what all of the other places i know that are doing work like this are aren't doing it the way i think it should be done <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, i mean that's how most organizations start right <laughs> but yeah and, and then the pine project was born out of that so well that's great and uh you're a good storyteller and i think with the pine project kind of the ethos of of the whole thing is around kind of oral storytelling and 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 and, and maybe reviving that in some ways uh, why do you think storytelling is such an important thing these days because it's a way more interesting way to learn <laughs> i can speak for myself when i say um you know i learn from stories i don't learn from people telling me what's what if someone tells me a story then it's it's in me forever and I mean, that's the way I teach, right? I, I've even told you stories that other people have told me already. It spreads. Uh, it spreads. It goes down. Exactly. Um, it's a great way to inspire. It's a great way to remember things. And, you know, it's so, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sitting around a fire with people, having someone tell a really good story is just such a better feeling than reading something from the internet or going on a website or, and I remember my teacher in university, um, Joe Sheridan, he said one of his favorite days of his life was when the huge blackout in Toronto happened. And he went to this like Mexican restaurant down the street of Bathurst and Bloor and they only took cash so they were still operating because they also had a oven that was gas oven or a gas stove or wood burning stove, something that didn't rely on electricity. And he said, 
there was candles lit and the whole entire night he just sat around like at the fire which was the candles with a bunch of strangers and they all just told stories until the end of the night and he said it was his favorite night he's ever had so there's just something so magical about that it feels a lot more connective yeah it was interesting you said that because uh i think that's the way we used to live uh, yeah <laughs> flyer telling story you know not mm -hmm. working all that much you know doing what was necessary but but mm -hmm. the resource is much better um and but now we're all so hypnotized by by money and status but more importantly mm -hmm. by technology that we never really just stop much anymore it's not very common for someone just to sit around a fire and tell stories right and uh, my boss andrew likes to ask that question you know like what is the lighter taking away from you that uh, doing a friction fire is giving you what is the phone taking away from you that storytelling gives you and to always be asking these questions why why do we do survival skills <laughs> what's the point we have everything at our fingertips so it's a really good question that always prompts me to remember you know the why of everything yeah that's a very interesting question to ask mm -hmm. um, yeah I, I like that a lot um is like as our, we evolve, we develop these new technological tools, but they also kind of mediate our experience as well as helping us live better. Right. Um, instead of like actually experiencing nature and eating a plant and touching it and being with it and being in a forest, um, increasingly we just see it on a screen and it's like on BBC Planet Earth or something, and, <laughs> you know, and then you don't actually experience it for yourself, you know, in these simple ways. Um, but we're always like caught up in the spectacle of Hollywood and all this fancy technology. Uh, yeah. So there still is a, there is a place for just simple experience. And mm -hmm. it's funny, I think that's what people really crave these days. Uh, and it's hard to get that through our phones, you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, I have one final question for you. Sure. <laughs> Are you optimistic about the future? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to say yeah, because right. I am seeing more and more uh, initiatives and nature schools opening up. We have a really awesome younger generation of kids growing up that are have like the fight in them to change the world. And I think that even the kids I'm working with right now who are learning to appreciate nature will be a huge part of that and a huge hand in that. So I have optimism, regardless of whether or not I think it's going to be another 30 years or 100 years before we disappear. I, I'm optimistic that, you know, whatever way the earth changes in the future, um, everything will be okay. Yeah. No matter what, and I think you know humans are good at dealing with crises when necessity is necessity becomes yeah. so important that we have to invent new ways. Yeah. So I, I think what you said about the kids, obviously they are going to have to create a different world than we have today, and the big responsibility and burden in a way, but it's also this beautiful opportunity for evolution of the human spirit. You know. Yeah, totally. They're going to um, do great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm optimistic. Um, what do you, uh, where can people find out more about what you do? Uh, you can visit www.pineproject.org or you can follow us on Instagram, Pine Project. And 
uh, on Facebook, The Pine Project. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I really appreciate this interview. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me.